Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. Really, the next three weeks are going to be about hearing him, but this week is going to be about how we can talk to him in prayer. We've been given this great opportunity through this gift called prayer to have a conversational relationship with God, to approach God and talk to him. And prayer is one of those things, it can be a little difficult and complicated sometimes because there are a lot of different thoughts and beliefs out there about what prayer is. And not only that, prayer can just be difficult, if we are to be honest. It is easier for me to give a 30-minute message than it is for me to pray for 30 minutes. And I know that may not sound holy, and I'm supposed to be the pastor, and I could pray for hours and hours, but sometimes if I sit down to pray for 30 minutes, I don't know if you've been there before, but I get distracted. You know, something happens. I hear a ding on my phone. I, gotta put, I forgot to put my phone on silent before I started to pray. Or, you know, you start praying and you just hear, you ever, your house just makes noises and you're like, what did that noise? What was that? What is that? What is that? What's going on? Prayer can be distracting. It can be difficult to stay focused sometimes. And, and, you know, for me, what I've had to start doing is I journal all of my prayers because when I journal, I stay focused. I'm writing it down. But what's also helpful for me with journaling my prayers is I can go back years ago and say, oh, I was praying for that. And sometimes I'll see that God has answered prayers and prayer requests that I forgot that I even knew that I had. So that's helpful for me to stay focused, but we're all looking for ways of, okay, I want to pray, but how can I stay focused when I pray? We want to connect with God. We want to talk to him, but prayer can sometimes be complicated. And there's a lot of different thoughts out there about prayer as well. You know, should I pray kneeling or can I pray when I'm walking around and moving? Some people say I pray best when I'm driving in the car, which I hope is a good thing, but don't do too many things while you're driving. That could be a bit distracting, you know? We want to keep everyone safe. But I pray best in the car. I, I pray best in this space. And there are some people I've talked to before who've thought, oh, I have to be in a certain place to pray. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But some of us, we, we only, we've only ever prayed before a meal. You know, I, I, pray before my, I pray before dinner. You know, God is good. God is great. Thank you for the food in our plate. Amen. Thank you, God. You know, and some of it, maybe you were raised to pray before you go to bed at night. We prayed that prayer that sounds really cute, but when you think about it, it's actually kind of dark. As I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Like, sounds really cute because it rhymes, but if you think about a nine-year-old praying about dying before they wake, it's a little dark. But there are so many thoughts and ideas about prayer and what prayer is and how prayer works and and what kind of prayer is most effective. And we're mostly going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today, in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, when he gives us a structure for prayer. But before we get there, I just want to address two more popular myths about prayer. And the first myth is this, I must be in a certain place to pray. This is myth number one, that I must be in a certain place to pray. And that word place can be used differently. Some people believe that they need to be in a certain physical place to pray. I I knew a lady that I worked with a number of years ago. She thought that she had to be in a church building to pray and connect with God. But that's actually not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that when Christ is with, when we've accepted Christ, the spirit of God is within us and we can connect with God wherever we find ourselves. You don't have to be in a certain physical space. That's why Paul would write this in 1 Thessalonians 5:17 when he said, "Pray without ceasing." 
How could you possibly pray without ceasing if you have to be in a certain place to pray? We can't be in a church building or in a church gathering space 24-7. We can pray without ceasing because we have access to God wherever we find ourselves as believers, as those who are following Jesus. So you don't have to be in a certain physical space to pray. Also, some people think that they have to be in a certain spiritual space to pray. I'm going to change that up a little bit. Some people think, you know, I have to be in a really good spot spiritually to pray because if I'm not, then God may not want to hear from me. No, even in our lowest moments and our highest moments, we can still approach God in prayer. In fact, we should have a continuous praying without ceasing relationship with God that in our lowest moments and our highest moments, we are always talking and communicating with him. That's a main myth about prayer. I have to be in this place. And under that myth about prayer is that you have to have a certain person to pray for you. Don't get me wrong. As the pastor of this church, if any of you have a prayer request, I would love to pray for you. But you don't need me to pray for you. And here's what I mean by that. You have just as much access to God as I do. Some people think, oh, because that person has a religious title or a religious role, they have a better connection to God than me. No, that's not the case. Christ is our intercessor, and through him, we all have access to God. So there is value in other believers praying for one another, and we should be praying for one another, but you don't need somebody else to pray for you to get access to God. We all have access to God. So you can call out to him and talk to him wherever you find yourself. That's the number one myth about prayer. Don't believe that myth. You have to be in a certain place to pray. No, we can pray without ceasing. Wherever you find yourself, you can call on him and talk to him. The second myth about prayer is this one, that prayer requests bother God or prayer requests irritate God. Now, some people, I don't know if they fully believe that their prayers irritate God, but I know a lot of people, including myself, we don't like asking for things. I don't really like asking people for things. I don't like asking people for directions. I don't like asking people for help in a store. I don't like asking people for things. Some of you, are you like that? You just kind of like figuring things out. I was talking to Kim about this yesterday. She'll ask me a question and I'll say, oh, we'll figure it out. She goes, can you just give me a straight answer, yes or no? You do or you don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, no, oh, we'll figure it out. We'll find a way. Well, we could ask somebody, no, we'll figure it out. We don't always like asking for things because, oh man, what if it bothers somebody? And I wonder if we've had that view of God before that maybe our requests would bother him or irritate him, almost like in Bruce Almighty when he has God's powers and he's getting so irritated by the prayers, he just takes them and puts prayers in prayer email and says, all, answer to all prayer, yes. Yes, because this is just bothering me. Our prayers do not overwhelm God and they do not irritate God. In fact, God delights in answering our prayers and he's a good God who desires to give us good things. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter seven, verse 11. So if you, if you, despite being evil, talking about earthly parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God desires to give us good things. God delights in us asking and coming to him and praying to him and talking with him. Our prayers do not bother him. So when we start praying and asking him, God, God, I, I, I need this, I need that. God, I don't know what's gonna happen right now. God delights in us coming to him. Now, sometimes we have unanswered prayers and there's a lot of questions around that. We could do a whole series on unanswered prayers. But God delights in us coming to him and asking him and making our requests made known to him. So this brings us to Matthew chapter six. 
Matthew chapter six, Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. I've said this before and I'll say it again and again and again. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 over and over again. This is the most beautiful sermon. It's Jesus's longest recorded sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, because it's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that we see the possibility of reality of the life and the kingdom that Jesus made possible for every one of us. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 over and over. It's in, it's in with this that Jesus is showing us what it means to follow him, to be human, to walk in the life that he has for us. And in the middle of this sermon, he starts talking about prayer. And, and he's about to go into something that's very well known to us, known as the Lord's Prayer. But before that, what we sometimes overlook is a really helpful piece of advice from Jesus. Jesus lets us know what not to do when we pray. Do you know Jesus does that? Jesus gives us a warning of this is what not to do when to pray. If you're taking notes, write this down, right? What not to do. Jesus gives us very helpful information on what not to do when we pray. Here's what's unfortunate though. We're about to look at this. What not to do when praying? Some of us have done these things before or some of us know people who have done these things before. Look at this in Matthew chapter six, verses five through eight. This is what not to do. Jesus said, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus commends one type of prayer here, the type of prayer that when you're, when you're in private, when, you, when, you're, when you're in a space where it's just you and God, Jesus said, that's, that's what you should do when you pray. Now, he doesn't mean that you should only ever pray in private, but he's revealing something that's really important to us, that's really important for us. What you and I do when we are alone speaks deeply about who we truly are. What we do when nobody else is watching speaks volumes about who we really are as people. And Jesus is saying a prayer that nobody else sees that says, hey, you know what? I'm committed to God and I'm just going to do this not for anybody else's attention, but just because I know I need him speaks volumes about how much we rely on him and how we see our relationship with him. And Jesus warns against two types of prayer here. He says, don't do this. The first one is the showy prayer. The prayer of the, of the loud people who use, you know, big words and look really righteous and look really holy. But then on the inside, there's some stuff going on. It's really just a cover. Some of us, we know people like this. When they start praying, they start using King James language that they don't use in everyday life. Thou art so good. Thank you, Lord. 
You have sanctified us and made us righteous and set us apart. Thee is so good to us, God. It's like, you don't talk like this. What are you doing right now? And they'll start praying really slowly and really loudly. This is the person that you, when, when you get together, you hope that they don't pray before the meal because you know your food's gonna get cold while they're praying. They'll just pray really loudly and for a really long period of time. And they'll, they'll have like a super righteous prayer with all these big, huge words. And then all of a sudden, 15 minutes later at the dinner table, they're saying nasty things about other people. And you're thinking, how, how do you know God so well, but you think so poorly of other people? Jesus really is against this type of prayer because he warns about it again in Luke chapter 18 when he gives this parable, Luke 18 verses 10 through 14. He said, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Oh, good for you. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is saying the people who give the kind of prayers that give a good outward appearance, it is exalting themselves. It's building themselves up. Those people who exalt themselves, they will be humbled. But those who humble themselves, they will be exalted. The ones who give the great religious outward prayers that all that looks and sounds really good, what they're actually trying to do is work their way to heaven. But the reality of Jesus is that heaven has come to us. So in the space where we are experiencing him, we aren't going to build ourselves up, but we can't help to be humbled in his presence. Those are the types of prayers that Jesus has taught to to come into his presence with a humility to not have showy, self-righteous religious prayers. But then Jesus warns against a second type of prayer as well. He said, don't be like the Gentiles who just repeat themselves over and over and over again. A better translation for that today would be this. Don't be like the unbelievers who are just repeating themselves over and over and over again. This is basically warning against the type of prayers that could be like incantations or magic, or if I just say the right thing enough, then God will eventually do it for me. I was praying with a gentleman not too long ago, and something happened. I don't know what happened, but he just started saying the same word over and over and over again. The same word, nothing in between this word. He just kept saying, it and it was like three to five minutes. And then he kept getting louder and louder. And I just want to say, sir, God can hear you. But he just kept getting louder and louder and louder, the same word over and over and over again. And Jesus said, no, don't be like that either. Oftentimes what I think is happening is with the overly religious prayer of, oh, look at me, or the repetitious prayer of, I'm gonna say it until God gets it. It comes from this heart of manipulation that if enough people see me doing the right thing, then God will have to do it for me. But our prayers should never come from a heart of manipulation. And this is what then leads Jesus into the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter six. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus gives us the Lord's prayer, which is a great structure and blueprint for how we can pray. We don't have to copy the Lord's prayer word for word, but it gives us a really helpful structure. If you've been wondering, how can I pray or how can I talk to God? This is a great starting point. Or maybe you've been walking with God for quite some time. You're like, I'm still, you know, wondering, am I, what's going on here? This, the Lord's prayer 
gives us a perfect framework and structure for how we should pray. In fact, in Luke 11, before Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, his disciples come to him and say, teach us how to pray. And this is what Jesus gives them. Now, some of us, we've heard the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. And because you've heard it so many times, it's easy to just breeze by it and think, oh, I know that. But there's actually some very deepful and meaningful, deep, deep, deepful, that's not a word. There's actually some very deep and meaningful things within this prayer that give us a structure for when we choose to come to God in prayer. And this is actually a central piece to our theology and understanding of who God is. I'm gonna separate the prayer into two different sections. And the first section of the prayer is this, is when we come to God in this way, the structure of the Lord's prayer is that we come to him with a kingdom framework. The first part of the prayer gives us a kingdom framework in approaching and talking to God and coming to him in prayer. Prayer is not as much about, should I be walking? Should I be sitting? Should I be journaling? Should I be doing this? Should I pray out loud? Should I pray? It's not as much about that. It's more about the heart of our prayers and how we come to him and what our heart is behind that. And Jesus starts by giving us a kingdom framework that is useful for us and helpful for us when we come to him in prayer. The first line of the prayer is this. Many of you know it, Matthew 6, 9. Jesus said, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. All right, we're gonna pause right here because hallowed is not a word that we frequently use. Maybe you use it frequently, I know I don't. So what exactly does that mean? That we're, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'd like to borrow these thoughts from the late Christian philosopher, Dallas Willard. He says this. Today, very few people any longer understand what it means to hallow something, and we are apt to associate hallow only with ghosts and Halloween. So we would do better to translate the language here, let your name be sanctified. Let it be uniquely respected. So sanctified means to be holy or set apart or different. So let your name be uniquely respected. Really, the idea is that his name should be treasured and loved more than any other held in an absolutely unique position among humanity. Jesus starts the prayer by saying this. When you pray, so, so he starts by saying, hey, you're gonna pray. There's like an expectation that we as Christ followers that we will pray and talk to him. And when we pray, we can approach him and say, Father, we can call God Father. May your name be holy and set apart because he is set apart. He is different. Think about this for just a moment, that when we pray and talk to God, yes, God is the creator of all things. Yes, he is the king over all creation, but the king over all creation, the creator of all things, the one who, as we used to sing, holds the whole world in his hands, we can call him father. And he's a good father who desires to give us good gifts. He's not a distant father, He's not a negligent father. He is a good father who cares and we can call God father. Think about that for just a moment, that the most powerful being in all of, all of existence says that we can call him father, gives us permission to call him father. He doesn't say, oh, I'm so much greater than you. Just stay, you know, you know make sure you call me king father first. No, we can call God father. 
And this would have been mind-boggling for the people of Jesus' time as well because Israel was referred to as the sons of God in Exodus 4.22. But now Jesus is opening this up to all of humanity that we all can approach God and call him Father. He is our Father, but he's also set apart. He's close, but he's set apart. How can we even fully wrap our minds around that? It's, it can be a bit complex for us, but we understand that he's close, yet he's set apart. But his set apartness It's also what makes him different and distinct, but it's also demonstrating to us the life that we've been called to live, a life that is set apart and distinct. This kingdom framework, when we start this way, here's what this does for us. You write this down. It says, when we start with God, we will begin to see the rest of our prayers through the lens of who God is. When we start our prayers with God, Father God, we will begin to see the rest of our prayers through the lens of who God is. Sometimes in prayer, we just, we just run and start asking God for things. God, I need this. God, 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 help me, help me. And then we almost get more overwhelmed in prayer than we were before we started praying. And I wonder if that's because we're viewing our prayers through the lens of our own strength instead of viewing our prayers through the lens of who God is. When we start with God and we put the focus on the Father who is the creator of all things and set apart, and then we start praying, we will start to see the rest of our prayers through the lens of who he is. Start with our Father, Father, Father. Secondly, Jesus says this in Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love this part of the prayer. I quote it a lot. It gets me excited. The fact that we can pray that his kingdom would come, that we would experience his kingdom reality on earth as it is in heaven. I used to think that this part of the prayer was praying for and requesting. We've had enough. Come on, just get us, come on, your kingdom come. But then I started thinking about that. And first of all, it would just be a bit odd for Jesus to teach his followers to pray for his second coming when he's standing right in front of them. Secondly, it would be a bit odd for Jesus to teach his followers to pray for his second coming, knowing that they wouldn't experience it. That'd almost be like, hey, I'm gonna, you know, you should just do this, but I'm not gonna do it for you. Like that, that doesn't really line up with what he says later on in Matthew chapter seven. Jesus is actually teaching us to pray that we can experience his kingdom reality in our present reality. We could say it this way. This is not a request to summon the return of Jesus. This is a request to summon the reality that Jesus has already brought into existence. This is not a request to summon the return of Jesus. This is a request to summon the reality that Jesus has already brought into existence. Jesus himself is the great collision between heaven and earth. Jesus is the great collision where God's kingdom begins to invade and be expressed within our own little kingdoms within this world on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer request to say, God, I want to experience your kingdom. I want to experience your will on earth as it is in heaven, but I also want to be a part of furthering your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, I want to be a part of the movement that you started. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright describes it this way. He said, he is the living God who dwells in heaven and longs to see his sovereign and saving rule come to birth on earth. This is not in fact a prayer for the kingdom of God to become fully present. Not for this, this is, I'm sorry. This is in fact a prayer for the kingdom of God to become fully present, not for God's people to be snatched away from earth to heaven, but for the glory and beauty of heaven to be turned into earthly reality as well. That's what this is a prayer for, that the kingdom of heaven would become a reality on earth as it is in heaven, that we can be a part of participating in God's will right here, right now. But if you start praying this part of the prayer, 
I'll just be honest with you. It can start to get a little scary. It can be intimidating because we all like building our own kingdoms. We all like building our own little domains of space that we are in charge of and nobody else can touch. This is my, we, we learn how to do this at the youngest age. As soon as you hear a child say, mine, that is them building their kingdom. This is mine, not yours, stay away. This toy is, this is mine. We love to build our kingdoms. Just uh, last month or two months ago now, we were with my, my little niece, Mia in Phoenix. She doesn't say mine. She says, no, 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 no. Whenever she, when you don't, she does, she had like this baby that I kept taking and calling it the flying baby. I throw it across the room. She go, no, 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 no. Then she eventually found it funny, but it was, she, no, 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 no. We learned this at a young age. No, 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 no. Don't do that. No, no. This is mine. This is my space. This is my domain. I am building my little kingdom. And we love to build up our own little kingdoms and have our stuff where we're in control and we do our thing and we don't, but, but to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's saying, you know what? I'm going to let go of my kingdom. I'm going to let go of my agenda and I want to experience his kingdom and his will and his agenda. This can be a scary prayer. It can be a dangerous prayer. It can be an intimidating prayer because it's saying I'm letting go of control and I'm giving control to him and I'm going to experience his eternal reality over my temporary reality. This is what it means for us to take up our cross and follow him, to step out of our own space and to experience the space that he has for us. It can be a bit scary, but it's about letting go of our kingdom to experience his kingdom and his will and his work, not our own. This is the kingdom framework to start with God first and then to go with his kingdom and his will, which then brings us to the second part of the prayer, kingdom requests. Kingdom requests. Sometimes we say things like, I don't don't know what to ask God for. What should I ask him for if I come to him in prayer? When we start with who God is in our prayer life, and then we go to asking for his kingdom and his will, his will will begin to shape our requests to his will. He'll begin to reveal to us what it is to ask for. But as I said earlier, if we just start with requests, those requests can almost become intimidating to us because we're not looking at them in light of who God is. We're looking at them through the lens of our own strength. And Jesus ends this prayer with three, it seems like simple requests on the surface. But if we were to apply them to our everyday lives, there are three very powerful requests that invite his kingdom and his will to be done within our lives. The first request is this, give us this day our daily bread. Simple request, right? And some of, some of you here today under the sound of my voice, whether you're in person or online, you might be in a spot in your life where this is a prayer you need. You, you know, I man, daily bread, like, You're thinking day to day, paycheck to paycheck. There are some of you that maybe this one doesn't directly apply to you, but maybe it'd be better to make this request. God, I need some daily peace today. Give me some daily, give me some peace. You know what? I've been dealing with some difficult people. God, give me understanding today. God, I, you know, give me some kindness today. Maybe for you, this, this request for daily provision doesn't look like daily bread, but maybe it looks more like daily understanding or daily peace, wherever it is you find yourself. It, what this helps us do is it keeps us from becoming entitled and just assuming that the things that we have in our life, oh yeah, they're just gonna be there. 
What it helps us to do is to recognize that everything that we have comes from him, that he is our provider and that we can daily be thankful for what we have because he is providing for us. It also keeps us from getting too anxious about what's to come. This is something that I, that I have to work with. Uh, not too long ago, it was a Thursday, and I had scheduled on my calendar that Thursday with a group of people a meeting that was going to be happening the following Thursday. And the following Thursday, that meeting was stressing me out. And what, what happened was is this. I forgot to rely on God for my daily peace And what I allowed to happen was for the following days for my peace to be taken away each and every day because I was so consumed about what was coming next. And I got to the meeting, ended up not being that bad anyway. But we do, we'll get worked up. We worked up, oh my, what could be happening next? When we come to God and we focus on, God, I'm gonna focus on today. I'm gonna focus on what you've given me today. I'm going to ask today for what it is that I need from you, whether it's just tools to get through the day, whether it's peace, whether it's comfort, whatever it is, God, I'm going to trust in you for my daily provision so that I don't become entitled and so I also don't get too worked up about what's to come. To request daily from him. Second request is this, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. I want to be clear with something here. I don't want us to become people who have forgiveness paranoia. If if some of you been there before, I know I've been there before where I, man, oh my gosh, I got to go ask God for forgiveness right now because he might not actually forgive me. I talked about that a little bit last week about how I used to think, oh man, I could be snatched out of God's hand. And sometimes we get like this forgiveness paranoia. Oh, I did this, I did this, I did this. I better go ask God for forgiveness because if I don't, then he may not forgive me. No, we have been fully forgiven for sins, past, present, and future. Once again, what this does though, is this helps with perspective. It reminds me, oh wait, you know what? I have been forgiven. I'm not perfect. I need grace and mercy. I need his restoration and his understanding. I need his forgiveness. And when I ask for daily forgiveness, it's not that I'm getting resaved every day, but what's happening is, is it brings me to a spot of humility to remind me of what it is that I've been forgiven of. Because then the second part is, as we have forgiven those who, who are our debtors or who have trespassed against us, when we are reminded of how much we have been forgiven of, it makes it easier for us to start forgiving others. Because we all know it can be a little bit difficult to forgive others. Bitterness begins to take root in our lives. And that bitterness begins to drive us and motivate us. But it holds us back from the life that God wants wants us to have. But forgiveness is what sets us free. Forgiveness that we've received from God and forgiveness that we give to others. It is implied in the scriptures time and time again that because of the forgiveness we have received, we then become people of forgiveness who forgive others. So we daily say, God, thank you for what you've forgiven me of. Teach me to become a person of forgiveness just as you have forgiven me. And the third and final request is this one. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to, to let anybody know. I mean, we all know we live in times a dark world where we look at what's happening or what's happening to us or around us and we think, what is going on? We're just perplexed, dumbfounded. What? 
This is a prayer where we come to God and we say, as darkness continues to surround us in certain seasons and in certain areas, Lord, please do not lead me into temptation. And in those spaces where it seems as if darkness is surrounded, please protect us, Lord. Deliver us from from evil. This is a prayer that we must pray so that we can be vigilant and aware and continue to live into the life of the kingdom that he has called us to live in. This is a prayer to say, you know what? I know there's things happening. It takes us back to the words of Jesus in John 16, In this world, you will face trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It is in this request that we begin to say, you know what, there's darkness, there's this, there's that, but I'm not going to choose that option. I'm going to choose to continue to follow Jesus and see the light that is leading me forward, even in the midst of darkness, because he is the one that by the power of his resurrection, who has delivered us from evil. This is a request to say, God, please keep me from all of the distractions. Please keep me from darkness and lead me by your light into the life that you have for me. And what we see is that when we come to God with a kingdom framework, he will then begin to shape our kingdom requests. And then prayer becomes this thing that it's not just this disconnected moment that we have, but it becomes integrated within our lives because prayer is almost moving with God. So our kingdom framework leads to kingdom requests, which opens up a door for us to live life in the kingdom. A kingdom framework will lead to kingdom requests, which opens up a door for us to live and experience life in the kingdom of God on earth as in in heaven. If we were to maybe modernize the Lord's Prayer for today, you're we saying, hey, how do I, how do I you know, shape this for where I'm at? Use the framework and the request, and maybe it would sound something like this. Father God, thank you for being set apart yet close. I pray that I would experience your kingdom and your will within my life. In the streets that I walk, in the workplace, at school, wherever I find myself, may it be your kingdom and your will and your reality above my own. Lord, provide for me today peace. Provide for me daily bread. Provide for me understanding. Provide for me the tools I need to face the day, Lord. And thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that it is through your forgiveness I am set free. And I pray that from your forgiveness that you would give me a heart to forgive others and keep me from temptation, Lord. As there are so many other options and ways and paths that I can choose, keep me from temptation. And may I live as a child of your kingdom and not a child of darkness, Lord. Thank you for your deliverance. If we were to modernize it for today, maybe it would sound something like that. And our kingdom framework will shape our request to kingdom requests so that we can live life in the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what I want us to do for a few moments. I'm going to pray for us in just a second here. And then after that, I want to invite you to just stay at your seat and have a moment of prayer and communication and talking with God. I want to give you a chance to start a conversation with him. You don't have to pray out loud. You can, you can if you'd like to, or you can pray to yourself. 
There will be some music playing and then we're going to be led into our last song. But I would ask that don't get up and leave. Don't get on your phone or anything like that. Use this as a moment to start talking with God. Because as we go through this series connecting, we want to be people who are connected to God. So use this time to talk to him and start a conversation with him that's not just going to be today, but is going to exist every single day throughout your week so that we can become people who are living in the reality of the kingdom. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that we can call upon your name. We thank you that you made it possible for us to to call God Father. And we thank you that you are a good father who desires to give us good gifts. And I pray for everyone here today, including myself, that we would be people who let go of our own little kingdoms to experience the fullness of the reality of your kingdom. That we would take up our cross and live for the eternal and not the temporary. And I pray for everyone here today that as they move forward in making their requests made known to you, Lord, that we would begin to see you move in this church in a powerful way. That people would be set free, that they'd be challenged, that they'd be convicted, yet also encouraged and inspired by what it is that you're saying to them. Thank you for this opportunity to talk to you, Lord. Thank you that we can talk to you no matter where we find ourselves. And may we come before you in confidence, knowing that you hear